as I'm looking at seven and eight family worship and eight being gender, I don't know how to talk about family without talking about husband and wife. And I don't know how to talk about husband and wife about not, without talking about gender. Because the gender was created for marriage and God's function in that. So we're going to go through scripture today, and this will probably be a two-parter. We'll cover both of these. But I want to lay some groundwork about God, how God made man and woman, how they were different when he made them, how they became even more different during after the fall, and what that difference will look like when we're in heaven, when Christ fixed it all. And that's all we're going to do today. So we probably won't get into the details of the uh, duties of a husband and wife, and we won't get into the duties of father and mother and children in a particular family. So, uh, but I don't think I can do that until this groundwork is laid. So with that being said, let's go forward, and I want to do some reasoning with you to start off. Okay? I want you to think about a basketball team. Okay? Think about a basketball team. Now, I was silly here, and I was thinking of the, 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 the Los Angeles Lakers, which won a lot of championship in the late 70s. And I was thinking of the Boston Celtics, which won a lot of championships in the 80s. And I was thinking of the Chicago Bulls, which won a lot of championships in the 90s. And the current champions right now is a team from Golden State. And all I want you to do is think of a basketball team. And on the basketball team, you usually have one great big galoot that's like seven foot tall. Yes? And then you have a couple guys that are a little bit shorter, usually in the 6'8", 6'9", range. And then you have some little fast guys that are, I call them little. To me, they're, not, they're big, but like 6'2", in basketball, it's considered little. 6'1", 6'2", 6'3". And, and the, the question I ask is, why do you have... Such a diversity of players. And the thing is, is it's specialization. You get the big guy to do the rebounding and to set the stage in the middle of the lane. You've got the other guys, the forwards, that they have to go in there and they get the rebounding and you do that. So I want you to, when you think of those teams, you look at them and they're all different. And the reason why they're different is you can't have a team made up of all the same. Right? And I'm just, it doesn't have, it can go to football. Think of football. Think of those offensive linemen and think of the backs and think of the wide receivers and and the linebackers and and, and the safeties. They're all different sizes and they all have different athletic abilities. Well, why do you do that? And the reason is, is different jobs require different gifts, both physically and mentally and and, and agility. Well, that's sports. And we go, yeah, I, I believe that. Okay. Let me go a step further and let's talk about a school. Okay. Think about the staff of a school. Now, it's funny. At the school I was at, the literature and the language people always made fun of the science and the math teachers because we had different personality types. And then you have those really way out people that used to teach middle school. They were crazy, okay? Now, you guys have been, haven't been in school in a long time. You don't know what I'm talking about. So, but but, but that's, that's, you've got different people with different gifts. When you go into a business, think of someone that is a salesman. Think of the stereotype of that personality. Think of someone that's usually an accountant. Think of the stereotype of that personality. Think of someone that's a manager down on the production line in the factory. That's another personality. That's right. So, so why would you want a whole company run by salesmen? 
But then why would you want a whole company run by accountants? Well, what's happening is, is you have a whole diversity of gifts, and you take those special gifts, those special tools, and what you do is you put them together, and you have a functioning company, okay? So we can go amen to sports, and we can go amen to teaching, and we can go amen to business, and guess what happens? God did the same thing in the church, we are called lively stones. We are not called lively bricks. We have different shapes. We have different gifts. Amen? Here's a couple of scriptures to prove it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Let me skip down to verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. There are diversities of administration, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh in all. When a church is, comes together and we have different members, we have different personalities. And we have some accounting types. And we have some sales types. And we have some <sighs> manager types. And we have all the different kind of types and God has put us together. Aren't you glad God didn't make us a bunch of clones? We'd, we'd drive each other crazy. More than we do now. Amen? But we come together with our different gifts, and somehow he takes those gifts, and we work together. Well, we are different. Okay? I'll continue on in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm skipping down to verse 8. Notice thy diversity of the local body of Christ. For to one is given the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another the prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another diverse tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. But all these worketh that one saith some Spirit, dividing every man severally as he will. God made a difference between us, and he gave us different gifts. For a second witness, I will go to Romans 12 and notice thy diversity of the local body. This, 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 this is not new to you, but I'm just laying the groundwork to talk about a marriage. Okay? Romans 12, 4, for as we have many members in one body, all members not the same office. So we being many are one body and every one members one of another, having their diffs differing. Brother Emery is different than Brother James. They're just different. One's not better. One's not more superior. One's not more gifted. They're just different. And that's the same way it is with male and female. They're different. God did it on purpose. One on ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. Verse 7. He that teacheth on teaching, he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth unto him with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, him that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Those are different gifts different people have. He puts a pot together with all these different ingredients and comes up with a stew. Okay, It's just not one lump of boiling carrots or potatoes. There's all these flavors that come together to make this thing called the local church. Okay, so that being said, we've talked about a basketball team, different people. We've talked about a school staff. We've talked about a business. We've talked about a local church, and marriage was the same way. Now, this is not scripture. This is our 13th article of faith, 
But I want you to pay attention to this, what, the way we said it. This goes right in harmony with what we just talked about. And marriage and family were created by God. God created man with a set of unique attributes to be husband and father. And he created woman with a second set of unique attributes to be wife and mother. Men reflect part of God. Women reflect another part of God. Together they reflect all of him. Marriage, as ordained by God as one woman and, I'm sorry, one man and one woman, Scripture does not authorize any other alignment of individual such. This is an article of faith we wrote sometime in the last decade or so. We think men and women are different. Okay, why? It's for the same reason you have different players on a basketball team, you have different kind of teachers on a staff, that's different in a church and a different one in a business. It's the same thing in a marriage, okay? So, let's go to Scripture. Let's prove it. Okay, my first reference is in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. <clears throat> so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth on earth. One of the purposes of marriage is procreation. Okay? That is one of the purposes of marriage, procreation. Here's a second purpose of marriage. Number two, Genesis 2.18 And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. The other thing is companionship. God created marriage for companionship and for procreation. That's it. That's what he created it for. Okay? And when it says, I will make him and help for him, we'll get into that a little bit later. I'll double back to this verse. But I just, I've stressed this before in years past. There is no such thing as an help meet. That's something. Those words shine up in a line in scripture, but there's no such thing with a help meet with meet being the noun. God made woman to be a help fit for Adam. He did not make a help fit. He made a help Fit for Adam. What Adam had and what Adam was missing, he created Eve because she fit him and fit all the things he didn't have. And society will say, that's not true. Guys, just think what you need your wife for, right? What she can observe, what she pay attention to, all the things that go over your head. She's there to see those things for you. And vice versa. There are things that my wife will do. And as God has ordained me protector of the family, there's things she's oblivious to. And I got the caution lights on uh, many times. Right? That's the way we were wired. Right? Hard, cold, protective. If it was just up to us, it'd be a mess, right? The kids were so thankful when, you know, when I lost my first wife and they had to eat my cooking for a couple of years. They were so thankful for one Mel- after Melanie had passed, but then um, Deborah came along. You know, they got one protein, one grain, and one vegetable. And they were dull, tasteless. 
right? There she comes and she's got all this stuff. Oh, they were so thankful, right? And that's just a very simple thing. You'd skin their knee and I'd go, oh, shake it off. You'll do better. She'd pick them up and love them and kiss them and kiss their boo-boo and all that kind of We are different and God made us different on purpose, Okay. And then finally, Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And I find it very interesting. It says the man leaves father and mother. You know, the automatic pilot says the woman's got to leave. You know, walk down the aisle, you give it away, and all that kind of stuff. No, it says the man's got to leave. You know what? He's got to be the leader of that household. And when we talk about family, we'll get into that a little more detail. Okay? So... God created a man and a woman. Why did he create man and woman? For companionship and procreation. Okay? All right, let's go. Keep on going. Okay. What happened was, is Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, he was cursed. But the thing was, Adam sinned differently than Eve sinned. Okay? So Adam got cursed differently than Eve did. Does that sound logical? Well, I'll prove it to you with Scripture in a second. And not only when Adam sinned and he got cursed, he cursed all other men. And when Eve sinned, she was cursed. And when she sinned, she cursed all other women. Now the good news is, when Jesus comes back, He's going to heal both. And we will see that too. You got me so far? See, we, 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 can't, we can't talk about gender until we know why God set gender up. The reason why was for family, for fellowship and procreation. We can't understand the differences until we understand God's design. We understand the curses that are on men and women. And we understand the fix that Jesus Christ will have. Okay? So this is the foundation. And, and, and really to talk about family and gender without this basis in Genesis, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Okay, we're in Genesis 2. This is, this is really, really important. Okay? And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it, for in the day thou eatest thou shalt surely die. The commandment was given to Adam. Eve wasn't even made yet. The command is given to Adam. Okay? Verse 18, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a meat. The commandment was given to Adam. Eve wasn't around yet. Pay attention. We're going to read this. They're in the garden. And guess what? Eve's going to eat. And guess what happened? Nothing. She gave to Adam. Adam ate. Guess what happened? The fall. It wasn't her sin that caused the fall. It was his sin that caused the fall. It wasn't their sin that caused the fall. It was Adam's sin that caused the fall. He was the head. We're going to read that in Genesis 3 in just a second. 
The responsibility was Adam. He was with her, and it was his job to teach her, but he didn't, and he didn't stop her. But it wasn't her sin that caused the fall. Okay? Now, did she get off the hook? No. We go all through the New Testament, we find out Eve was beguiled by, by the Eve and, and, and by the Satan, and, and, and there's consequences for that, and there's consequences on all women. Okay. Brother Dolph, you're splitting hairs. These are huge hairs because this is the fabric of our whole society. It's the, all family, all marriage, until you understand the differences, the purposes, the God's design, the cause, the sin, the fall, the consequences of the fall. All of a sudden, none of it makes sense. I get frustrated when people read Genesis and they say the first 12 chapters are just a great big metaphor. No, it's the doctrine from which the whole Bible is established. You can't ignore it, okay? 1 Corinthians 5.22. I love this. For an Adam all die. Well, I don't really love it, but, but I love how plain it is, okay? <laughs> it makes <laughs> For in Adam all die. See, it was when Adam ate and caused the fall. It wasn't Eve. In Adam all fall. Why? Because that's who was given the commandment. The commandment was given to Adam. It was given to him before she was even made. It was his responsibility. The, tr- the shoulders on her. And you know what? The curses, you're going to say those curses on Eve are pretty tough. No, the weight, of the, weight of, of, of the curses on Adam are far greater because the responsibility was his. Okay. And then finally, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Here's the curse for Adam. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hearkenest unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it the days of thy life. And he says, Adam, your life is going to be rough. It's going to have sorrow in it. And you're thinking, whoa. But the good news is never forget, Christ came back to fix it all, and we got great joy at the end. Okay? But why we're here, there's going to be sorrow. And you, when you work, you're going to have to get picked once in a while by a thorn or a thistle. They'll bring forth, thou shalt eat of the herb of the field, and sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat in bread. It's going to be hard. And you know what? You're going to die. You're going to go back into the ground. Why? Just because he ate a piece of fruit? Just because he ate a piece of fruit. First commandment, only real commandment, and he couldn't keep it. And with that, hinged all this. So thou was um, taken out of the dirt, dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. There's the penalty. And that stuff was passed on to every male heir since. Matter of fact, the death was passed on to every female since, too. But that hard, that, that's us. Okay. Let's go to Eve's sin. Eve's sin. So now we're in Genesis 3, verse 6. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking, I was so excited about this message, and I, I know how many notes I have, and there's no way I'm going to get through it, and Deborah just says, slow down, slow down, I'm trying to go slow, okay? 
3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant for the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, so she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now notice what it says right here in verse 7. And the eyes of both of them were opened. It doesn't say she ate and her eyes were opened. Yes. It says he ate and both their eyes were opened. The sin was Adam's fault. Do you understand? It all, when she sinned, yeah, she sinned. But that's not what caused the fall. It was Adam. And the consequences of that was Adam. It was his responsibility. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And then I go down to verse, chapter 3 and verse 16. And here's the curse on Eve and the curse on women. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply sorrow and thy conception... In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and the desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. There's two f- parts of this curse. Number one is in the childbearing, and I think in the multiplying the sorrow, I think that's miscarriages, includes all that kind of stuff. It includes the pain of childbirth, and it also includes the pain of rebellious children. It's all rolled into there. You're going to have, as a mother, you're going to experience rebellious children. As a mother, children are going to pass on you. As a mother, children will never even get out of the womb. You're going to experience that. And the second part of it is, is, is the um, authority part. Okay? It says, thy desire shall be to the husband, and he shall rule over thee. There is an element of submission that she has here. That wasn't true before the fall. Now, she was made his help, I understand that, but there's a part of it where it was intensified. And I think this desire is, is there's going to be a rift between the two of you. It's going to be easy. You're going to be fighting for that control, but he shall have the rule over you. I think that's all part of the fall. But the good news is there is a fix. Let me show you the fix. Okay? I, I want to, let me kind of take a little tangent here. Let's let's go back and let's let let's see Eve, right? And you think this is terrible. This is terrible. She's going to have to do all that. Well, think about it this way. Here is Eve, and she's got this forest in front of her with all these trees and all this produce. And here it is. There's one tree with one set of fruit she can't eat. There is plenty on all the other trees for her to be fulfilled, to keep busy, to be nourished, be be well satisfied. But her focus became on the one thing she couldn't have, and she lusted after it so much that she had to have it. That's it. Y'all, that's like the spiritual things. There are so many ministries a woman can have. Enough to be well satisfied, enough to be exhausted, enough to be well pleased and nourished. 
but there's this one little place I want it. I'm not satisfied. I'm not talking just about women. The same thing's true of me. There's so many things to keep me busy and well satisfied, and it's usually the thing I can't have is the thing I fret over. I'm, I, I'm no different than anybody else, Eve or anybody else. But this is what happened to her. Okay, let's keep on going. Okay? Here's a cure. This, this kind of goes forward. I'm jumping to the New Testament. I'm in Matthew 22, and this is an interesting um, account. The, the Sadducees were challenging Jesus, and they, were, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And this was a conversation they have, but I want you to know as it relates to marriage, and I want you to know relating to the fix. Okay, so, so, so Adam created us before the fall, and there was a certain relationship that we had. And the purpose of that relationship was for fellowship and procreation. There was the fall, it became worse, and now Jesus is coming along and we're talking about heaven. Okay? Matthew 22, verse 24, saying, Master Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were unto us seven brethren, And the first one, he married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, that means he had no son to carry on the lineage or turn any over the family farm to, left his wife unto his brother, likewise also the second and the third, and all the way through the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. It's kind of a silly scenario. We think of seven brothers. A woman marries the oldest. They don't have any babies. Passed on to the second one, doesn't have any babies, passed on to the third one, but pass, pass, pass. So all of a sudden, everybody's dead. You got seven brothers in heaven, and you got this, and they're saying, Who's she going to be married to? This is what he says. 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be in, of the seven? For they had all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. He says, No, 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 that's not the way it works. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as are the angels of God in heaven. What does that mean? What's the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is fellowship and procreation. They're going to need to procreate in heaven. That number's fixed. Do the angels procreate? No, that number's fixed, right? Do they need fellowship in heaven? Y'all, I, I know you've got these warm, fuzzy feelings toward your spouse, and I do too. But in heaven, the only relationship that's going to matter to you is the one with Jesus Christ. Will you know each other? Yeah. But you're going to be love on Jesus. So, If the purpose of marriage is companionship and procreation, and when you're in heaven, you don't need companionship because you got Jesus, and you don't need procreation, there's no need. You're going to be just like the angels. There's the fix. In heaven, it's been fixed. Okay? So that's the good news on the other side. The problem is we're stuck in these old clay pots while we're here. And that's what the rest of the lesson is going to be. Okay. All right. 
Male and female were created differently. They had different gifts and they fulfilled different roles. We're going to talk about that in future Sundays. Okay? Societies which deny God's gender ignore biological difference in functions. They ignore differences in nature and temperament. They ignore God's design and home for society and negate a significant portion of the New Testament. I went and did something. And uh, you guys will get a kick out of this if you have a good memory. I went and looked up a book. It was a bestseller and it was released in 1992. I think many of you heard from it. It's called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Do you remember that book? It sold 15 million copies and it was on the New York Times bestseller for four and a half years. Four and a half years. You know what the author said about that book? He said, men and women are able to accept and respect their differences, then love has a chance to blossom. In other words, it's all based on men and women being different, different in thought, different in temperament. Here, let's, let's see. This is a, 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 someone wrote a description of the book. It says right here, it says, men and women think differently. They have distinct emotional needs, communication preferences. He's telling you if you have different, you have trouble reading the opposite gender, read this book. He says, once you know how and your partner uh, uh, differ, you'll be able to see each other with a new perspective and understand each other better. Here are my five, three favorite lessons from the book. Women tend generally to want to listen, men to listen to them. Men desire to solve their problems. Men are motivated by when they feel useful. Women are inspired when they feel loved. Women and men communicate differently and assign separate meanings to the same words. And this has helped people through their marriages for decades. Think of what this man is saying relative to the term toxic masculinity. Right? What is toxic masculinity? The differences are bad squash the male attributes and make them become feminine. That's what toxic masculinity is. And this book that was a bestseller is saying, no, they're different. Recognize the differences, celebrate the differences, and this occurs. Look how far we've come in 30 years. If that book was released today, it would be called sexist. It would be called hate speech. How can we have gone so far in just 30 years? It's it's just incredible to me. Okay? So we're going to talk a little bit about the New Testament. And then I'll shut it down and we'll save the rest for future Sundays. Okay? All right. Let's talk about the consequences of ease sin on all women. We'll talk about the consequences of Adam's sin on all men, and then we'll call it a day. Okay? First thing is, in marriage, here's three verses, the S word. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as in the Lord. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as it is fit in the Lord. In 1 Peter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, 1, 5, and 6, wives, be in subjection to your own husband's be won by your conversation. Part of the problem of Adam's sin is there's a authority structure that's put in place. And ladies, uh, you know, you're, oh, 
you're just preaching that because you're the man. No, I'm just preaching that because that's the word of God. Okay? And that's what Eve did, and that's the consequences on all women. Okay? But there's a difference also in the church. Okay? And I want to spend some time on this. There's some confusion on this. And I act as a pastor far differently than some, some of the folks that you might know, and I'll try to explain what and why I do it. Okay? In the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35 and 40. Basically, let me give you that verse right now. There it is. I'll go back there and get the rest of them. This is what the verse says. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not prevented for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as saith the law. Okay. When I read that verse, you know me, context, 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 right? And I look at the whole chapter, and I'm saying, what's the chapter about? The chapter is about prophecy, tongues, interpretation, and people learning. That's what's all being discussed there. So when I read this, and I go, when are people supposed to be silent when there's no interpreter, when more than three people are speaking, and when it's a female? Some very strict Baptists will say women are not allowed to utter a noise in the church. And I don't believe that. When I go to Nehemiah 8, I see a whole congregation of men and women going, Amen. When I go to Ephesians, I see a whole congregation singing, and I love our sopranos and altos. Right? I focus on the authority, not the legalistic noise coming from the vocal cords. I think the context here is be silent when it comes to prophecy, when it comes to interpretations, and when it comes to teaching and people learning. That's when they're supposed to be silent. The key here is the authority, just as it goes back to the curse. Think, think, think about it. I don't have a problem when someone is going through cancer and that person shares the trials they're going through. I want the whole church to hear that, but I also want to hear them, the phenomenal attitude that's going on with it. Do you understand? I want people to hear Sister Rhoda call out a hymn calling for heaven every single week. Do you understand that? That is a blessing to the congregation. When those things happen, are men's authority being usurped? No way, no how. Now, let me give you some examples, all right? The very first church I ever started attending, got it? I was green. I was, I, was, I was still coming out of Catholicism. And the church I was attending had a woman in the congregation that when the preacher said, are there any prayer requests, she could do more gossiping during a prayer request than anyone I ever saw before. Do you understand? In that situation, I would shut down prayer requests. I would probably do like they do in the rescue mission. In the rescue mission, they used to pass mics when I first got there like 10 years ago. You know what they do now? They give a piece of paper and pencil and they write down their prayer requests. There's some nut jobs talking there. 
Okay, I'm not saying this woman was a nut job, but in her prayer request, she was usurping authority. Now, you're looking at me, what's, what's the difference? Do you realize from an administrative standpoint, it's so much easier just to say, no speaking. Man, that's just the easy one to do. But do you realize if that's your no speaking to rule out something that happens every couple of years? Do you realize that when it happens, all the blessings you lose? So it's not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. Let me give you another example. When I was in Georgia, there, this wasn't a woman, this was a man. There was a man that during our Wednesday night services, he was asking questions. And he was asking questions, and he was not only usurping the church, but he was usurping every father in that congregation. Challenging scripture, challenging the teaching, challenging the doctrine that the church believed. And I was getting ready to shut that thing down and turn it from a dialogue to a monologue. I was. And as I was getting, and I've talked to him, and it just wasn't getting better, and it just kept on going. So finally, it was this, I was getting really close to doing it, and then, then he went over the edge. And finally I said, okay, brother so-and-so. I said, let me take you back to Genesis. The first thing the devil did was he, yea, hath God said, he questioned God's word. The second thing he did was he added to God's word. And the third thing he did was he denied God's word. And that's just what he just did. And he got it. And he said, are you calling me a devil? And I said, no, but his monkey wrench ended up in your toolbox. Never did it again. And I could go on having the Bible studies. Brother Danny, you always make fun of me. It depends. I I, I can't, I I know the blessings that can come from a dialogue. Jesus used dialogue just as much as he used monologue. But it's so easier as administrator to say, nope, that way I never have to deal with it. But do you understand how many blessings the congregation loses in the meantime? And it's way harder as a pastor to rule by the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The letter's so easy. Your kids want the line, right? As I will not give you a line. It depends. My teenagers hated that answer. The only way I have to do is wait till they have teenagers. They go, okay. No, I'm just teasing. They're, they're good kids and they're figuring it out. But I'm just sharing. When I say teenagers, it's not only my biological children. It's the one in the classroom I taught for years and years. They want the line. And I don't give them a line. It depends. There's certain situations where I'll forgive a late homework charge. And there's other ones where I won't. Well, you did it for him. Because it depends. I'm not going to draw that line. Well, that's the way it is in a church and speaking. Okay? All right. So, there, there, there's one passage. And, and the other thing I, I want to, to deal with this, in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, it definitely says something. Right? Now, by this passage, you can probably figure out I'm not for female preachers. My question is, when we are looking at the Bible and we are talking to certain friends about predestination, we've talked about this before, 
And I see it in my Bible four times. And someone will say, well, I don't believe that. And my answer always is, I didn't know not believing it was an option. It's in there. I got to deal with it. Well, it's the same thing with verses like this, saying women are to be silent in the church. I've explained how I'm interpreting it. The silence has to do with teaching and authority. It doesn't have to be with moving vocal cords is the premise there. But the ones that'll have female preachers, just ignore it. Well, give me something else. No, I just don't believe it. That's outdated. And we don't have the option of ignoring scripture. It's in there. Here's a second witness. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 12. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Well, again, what is the emphasis in this passage? And I challenge you, and we're running out of time really fast, and we can do this on a Wednesday. But what's the emphasis here? Is it the vocal cords moving, or is it the authority or the usurping it? I think that's... So I'm very comfortable in my stance allowing women to make prayer requests but I will shut it down. Or letting women call out songs. I don't have a problem with that. I'll let them move their vocal cords. But I won't let them usurp authority. And you're saying, well, can you you, you give an outline to that? And the answer is no, but I know it when I see it. I know it when I feel it. I know when I look. And it's harder to do that. But that's the way I pastor... All areas, just not that one. Okay? All right. The consequences of Adam on all men. This will be our last point. Number one, in marriage, we are a protector. God wired us to be a protector. Okay? Ephesians 4.25, Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We are sacrifice. When the burglar comes, we stand in front of the burglar with a gun and our woman is behind us. Got it? If I was real dramatic, I'd go like my friend Carl Staten, who got his wife up in the middle of the pulpit, got her there, and put her right next to me and stood like this, and he says, that's not us. He went and put her behind him, and he said, that's us. He said, we're not side by side. I'm her protector. Okay? We're different. Now again, different doesn't mean one's better than the other. Different means different. (laughs) That's all it means. Okay? Number two, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Sometimes difference causes us to be angry and bitter. Knock that stuff off. God made the difference. Okay? 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, giving honor unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel as heirs together. If she's physically weaker. The other day, Deborah and I were moving a piece of furniture. And she said, I'm struggling. I don't get aggravated. I honor her for it. Okay? And also in employment. Ephesians 6, 5. Be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. You're saying, guys, get all the luck. No, you go in the workplace and you're obedient to somebody else. It's a boss or an employer. 1 Corinthians 6.1, Count their masters worthy of all honor that God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So when I'm in a role and I'm in a role of submission 
And I don't even care if you say, Brother Dolph, I own my own business. No, from the time you're working for a customer, he's your boss. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Amen. And Titus 2.9, be obedient unto their masters to please them in all things, not answering again. 